the four o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Second half of the program is here. Battleborn Broadcast Center, Cofield, Candy, Ari. <laughs> Big signing of the day? Jadeveon Clowney. Are the terms really $10 million to the Browns? Do we have this confirmed? That seems high to me. Not sure about what's guaranteed within that $10 million. That's always the question, right? But when it comes to Jadavion Clowney, look, when you are the number one overall pick from the past, people just keep betting on the potential, right? They'll just keep going. And that's, you know, the production has rarely matched it with Jadavion Clowney, but... Here we go. Once again, third team in three years is betting on it. I heard uh, Michael Silver on uh, NFL Network, and the reason I mentioned Mike is he fancies himself a TV and radio guy, and in an awkward spot on NFL Network, because you remember a couple weeks ago he was going after Vinny over on Raider Nation Radio 920, and uh, before this signing, uh, maybe a day and a half ago, He's saying that uh, Clowney just appears to be the, the you know a Raider. He's a he you know he's a guy who belongs on the Raiders, and there wasn't much football talk from a, a straight football analysis standpoint. Don't they already have young Clowney in Furl? Like Clowney's really not an outside player. He's more of an inside player. I'm not saying Furl is as good as say Clowney's been in his most productive years, but they're kind of the same player in that they were touted to be outside guys, but they're really better inside. Yeah, man, but I think that's where the comparison ends because Cleland Furl has not for a day in college or professional career shown the explosiveness that we know is in there with Javion Clowney. We haven't seen it in, at game speed often enough, but with Javion Clowney, I mean, we in college, come on, we were looking at this guy and saying he's someone who could be one of the all-timers. Now, it's never happened. It's absolutely never happened. It's a guy who pro football-focused pass rush grade hasn't been over 75 in the last three years as he's bounced around. But yeah, I understand that you, you could make that to that one comparison when it comes to Furl. But, but you get my point. If he's, I'm just looking at the numbers. He's got 2 million in incentives. He's guaranteed 8 million. If you follow the Raiders, why would you bring in Clowney to essentially play inside and not be great outside and cut down on Furl's playing time? I mean, this is it. I mean, Furl, let's get him playing this year and make a decision after this year. This is when you got to make decisions anyway going into year four and five i just i don't even see where Clowney would have a spot on the raiders well let me ask you this then I mean, what are you doing with carl nassib right what are you doing with carl nassib what are you doing with some of the other rotation guys well he's there and so that's the case right he's there so the, I'll, I'll look i'll ask you the better question and every question in the raiders offseason is going to go back to this you spent 11 million dollars guaranteed on kenyon drake Yep. who now was replaced in Arizona by James Conner getting $1.75 million guaranteed. So if you want to take a chance on Jadavion Clowney, it looks to me like the gap in guaranteed money is right then and there. And if you're going to go ahead and get depth at a position, get depth at ed edge rusher instead of running back. This is crazy. With, uh, with so many of the moves the Raiders make, you're like, wait a second. Comparatively to what someone got value-wise somewhere else, like, what just happened? And the and the the Drake thing is going to be watched all year long, with Connor, um, 
I mean, I, I think it's going to be a bad comparison because I think he landed in a perfect spot. Like, what happens with a Joker candidate? Because I think he could play the position. What happens with Giovanni Bernard down in Tampa, right? Who's, you know, was brought in for a tiny amount of the money that, that Drake is going to be paid. Now, that said, Drake, I think Drake is better than both of those guys. Connor, if he's healthy, we'll see. I mean, that, I think we're going to follow those these three situations, Drake and Bernard and Connor very closely to see who got the most for their money. This is going to be, by a long shot, not even close, the best line that a Gio Bernard has ever run behind. Right? Think about what he's faced in Cincinnati over the years. It has been Swiss cheese and turnstiles all the way around for, for Gio Bernard. You go ahead and put him into an offense like Tampa, yeah, I think you'll see the production. I was going to say, also by far the best quarterback he's played with, who, uh, you know, Tom Brady at times made uh, James White into uh, an all-pro, and certainly James White had at least uh, one big uh, game in a Super Bowl. So if he's if he's the James White of the Buccaneers, then that's going to be a hell of a signing for Tampa. Without question, and I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then I just feel even that much better about my Najee Harris over 29.5 draft position because – you look at the idea of a running back going in the first round or a running back getting Kenyon Drake kind of money. Come on. The league's moved on unless you're the Raiders. Up next, we're going to talk to uh, Caleb Herring, the former UNLV quarterback. He's the, the analyst on radio for the Rebels, and he follows the NFL very closely. We'll get his take on Clowney and then also bounce some uh, of the latest updates from uh, Rebel Spring practice off of Mr. Herring. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. All right, let's get to more football talk. Football, 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 football. Why not, right? We got a lot of big football news uh, story over the weekend uh, that folks over at the MGM, they'd like 100% football capacity. Mark Bedane, yeah, he'd like that. So we're, uh, we're trucking towards what could be back to norm in the NFL. But right now, they still have some hoops to jump through, some hurdles to clear. Caleb Herring is with us. I know he's watching what's going on around the National Football League. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm really good. Really excited about the the prospects of getting back to normal, right? Like June 1st for Vegas, but, you you know, we'll see across the nation how things look. But, yeah, the the NFL definitely has some hurdles to get through as far as what they're going to do with with all this reopening and getting back to max capacity. Right. Well, we're, you know, right now we're going to be in kind of this weird zone where we're making adjustments. So there are players out there, and really the NFL Players Association is looking at this and they're saying, hey, we're not through the pandemic yet. These voluntary workouts, we're not cool with it. And you've had a couple of teams release statements saying, hey, we're not doing it. So what do you make of this? Because you know the fan take on this is going to be, what do you mean you're not ready for the voluntary workouts? Do you want to get ready for the season or not? Show up. Let's go. Get to work. Yeah, and it, it's it's really the the players associated to do what they're supposed to do, which is protecting the interests of the, the members, right, which is the players. They they work for the players and are making sure that the health and safety is, is paramount. And, um, you know, you'd hate for a spike or, or, or their family members of these these players to be to be compromised with mandatory off-season workouts or, or coming to the facility on the field practice when really you don't have to. And I think last year, 
as makeshift as it, as it was, was was evidence that you can get some quality out of, you know, the virtual learning. And especially, I think, now with the kinks worked out, um, I think, you know, the mandate on those those OTAs and uh, on-the-field workouts is, is probably a little bit unnecessary, I, I would think, in the eyes of the NFLPA. But um, there, there's a delicate balance, and you got you got to balance the fact that, you know, player health and safety uh, is, is paramount, but then also team chemistry and the, the team's ability to monitor and, and safely uh, organize these kind of events where, you know, they have practice with uh, guys with masks and all the safety protocols still, you know, following to a certain extent of, of the pandemic. So um, there's a, a balancing act here. And like you said, it's a transition from, okay, you know, last year at this time, it was, it was very much, uh, you know, in the public opinion, a scarier situation to be around other people and to even consider being in person this year. You know the, the the percent of the the population that's vaccinated, which you know numbers are going up by the day, and uh, you know the things that are making people more comfortable being at, uh, at social gatherings and things like that. I think the NFL has has a reason, a legitimate reason to think that they can probably pull off this in person style of practicing. But the overall value and importance of OTA shouldn't be overdone to to be forcing players with via fines and and things like that. Uh, to be at these mandated OTAs and, and on-the-field practices. I mean, Caleb, I find myself falling very much on the side of the players when it comes to this situation who have chosen to stand up and say, hey, you know what? We didn't have any choice but to do it this way last year, and what we learned is that it works. And it also feels like so much in the last collective bargaining was made about how much less is done at these OTAs, right? Like we talk about the fact that it's not as physical, it's not as taxing on the players. It feels like these are the points of the season where if we're looking at the NFL as a bigger picture of let's make sure everyone is as healthy as they can be come training camp in August and the beginning of the season in September, that if players want to say, hey, you know what? Like this is not worth it to us to risk for our health. I, I really don't see why people should be pushing them. No, absolutely. And if you know me, I, I've always been a pro player guy. So any decision that benefits the players and their overall health and well-being, I'm all for it. You know, um, the less preseason games or whatever the case. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is not just in football, but in general, the pandemic has really taught us a lot about what we can and cannot do. I mean, there's things that we we're forced to learn, like you said, with the virtual aspect of learning a system albeit harder and inconvenient and maybe in some ways as the old ways of doing things, um, you just learn. That goes with health and safety and, and how to tackle and things that you learn and adapt to and evolve. And then at the end, you get a better product. I don't think anybody would, would argue that the NFL season last year was just as dramatic and climactic, albeit without the fans involved uh, you know, during, at the stadiums live. The, the actual gameplay was, was spectacular. It was still just good. I mean, the, what the Packers did, what the Buccaneers did, obviously the, the story of the season, the Chiefs were still a fantastic show to watch. There was still so much good about the sport without off-season workouts. And I think you look at you know what you can leave on the cutting room floor, so to speak, and I think some of these OTAs are definitely up for consideration, especially if it's for the protection of the health and safety of the players. So I think that the PA has some 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 steam behind it with this. I hope the NFL comes to it and agrees. I'm not sure exactly what contractual obligations or um, the necessary aspect of the NFL as far as the ownership, uh, as far as having these guys in the facility. Obviously, there's you know team camaraderie, wanting to have your guys uh, somewhat monitored 
um, you know, and, and reined in during the offseason to minimize distractions to learn and build for the next year. But all in all, I think, you know, you're dealing with professionals. I think these guys showed last season, except for Gronkowski, who admitted, he told on himself last year what he did with the OTAs, how he handled it. But he's, he's a Super Bowl champion, so we're going to question that. But I think they showed that they can do it, and I think they should lean on that experience and, and look to doing it more in the future if it prevents not only COVID from spreading, but all those other off-season injuries, the ACLs, the foot injuries, the hamstrings that always end up happening every off-season uh, with guys trying to get too intense during the off-season. Caleb Herring's with us on Cofield and Company right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So what do you think of uh, Jadeveon Clowney landing in Cleveland? Man, I, I like the move. I like the move for his career. I like the move for the Browns in general, who are solidifying that defensive line. Uh, they've made a couple other moves up front as well, but Miles Garrett obviously being the breadwinner up front for them. Um, I think he, David Clowney is still a very disruptive player. I think he's still in the top five in, in pass rushes uh, in his for the last few seasons. So he's still very disruptive when he's on the field. His availability has been a question now, but um, he's saying he's healthy, he's ready to go. I think he helps the team defensively. Um, and he fits kind of the mold of what they're trying to do. They're trying to be, you know, hounds on defense um, and, and control the pace of the game with their offense, with that double-headed monster running back. Baker Mayfield becoming more and more efficient with the offense. Um, I think they're doing some great things in Cleveland. And I'm not going to say, you know, this projects as they're going to be the favorite in the division or anything like that, but they were a playoff team last year. Um, and this move, I think, enhances that roster, adds depth, and, and gives you what you need, I think, up front with, with the way that this league is going with the quarterback play and the emphasis on the pass game, they now have two legitimate pass rushers on that defensive line that can disrupt things. So I think it's a good move for both parties in this. I think David Clowney, his career maybe needed some, you know, a, a shock to get him back on track. Um, he's not, not nearly as highly touted as he was when he came out of college. Obviously there's a circus around him being a number one pick at the defensive end, but um, I think he does still have some life in his leg. And I think he's got an opportunity now to show it with Cleveland. And, look, they're a playoff team now. I think they, they in that division, they've established themselves as a playoff team, and they should be in contention um, and now take the next steps and win and get to the division championship and things like that. But um, I like the move for the Browns, and I like that uh, Jadavion Clowney finds a good spot for him. So uh, a good move for both parties. So you're not way off on the Browns. Division title, Ravens are the favorite of plus 110. Browns are plus 175. Over-under win total for the Browns. Remember, 17 games, 17 games now. Uh, Over-under for wins is nine and a half. So uh, other big football news today. I think it's big football news. It's big college basketball and college football news. This one-time transfer thing without sitting out that we've had during COVID is going to continue moving forward. Is this going to be good for college football or are we going to see what's happened to college basketball where you have, you know, 15 or 20 kids enter the transfer portal every year from your football team? It's, it's good and bad. And I, having just said I'm very much pro player, I, I have to say that for players, um, the, the idea that you had to be punished for making that decision um, uh, by, in, by way of sitting out a year was, was a little bit you know, unnecessary, in my opinion. If you made the decision to leave, who does it benefit to sit out the year? Um, so in that way, I do, uh, I do appreciate that, the rule change, and this being continued, I guess. But um, in the other way, I, I do think that the transfer portal has problems. And I think we talked about it um, before that it's kind of getting overused. And it's, it's the 15 guys leaving off the roster every year not only decimates the current roster, but it could potentially ruin the, 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 the students, the athletes, future as far as you know that transition not working out the way they thought it would when they jump into the portal 
And this thing, this new, you know, no sit out rule here, um, I think makes transferring more appealing. It, it gives you more of a reason to go ahead and do it when I don't think you should need too many more reasons, right? I think that, you know, the, um, I, I already think that it's getting to the point where it's overused in both sports and college basketball and football at this point. Um, and I think the adversity that kids are trying to escape often is uh, more exaggerated than, than I think reality would dictate. But I, I do think that this creates more of an allure to transfer, and I, it will hurt programs definitely with guys mass exiting um, every season, uh, having to re-recruit guys, and now all you know, kind of jo- uh, jamming the the pipeline here with competing with high school recruits as well as uh, transfers from other colleges. That could take away scholarships from high school kids, and we haven't even really felt the impact of what it will do for high school players who are trying to make it out. Those, those fringe guys who are maybe on the bubble of getting a scholarship, um, and then being forced now to, to go to walk on somewhere, go to junior college because they, their scholarship got occupied by somebody transferring in the portal. So. There's a lot of different impacts that it has across the board, but as a pro player guy first, I have to say, if the players get more rights, um, get more freedom, more liberty, I'm, I'm a fan of it. But I think we have to figure out some ways to limit this or, or to mitigate how much the transfer portal has affected the game uh, in, in negative ways as well. Well, what do you think about the idea of it being one time without penalty then, Caleb? Because, you know, we look at it and we've seen over past years where – you know, we've seen it happen multiple times with the grad transfer rule, essentially, where, you know, maybe a guy, you know, used the red shirt uh, one year to transfer someplace and then use the grad transfer rule to go uh, somewhere else. Do you think that will be enough of a disincentive to keep it from becoming a wild sort of thing? Because I feel like much like you, that if we're talking about unpaid labor here in terms of the student athlete, that we should be giving them the option to be able to transfer without being restricted uh, artificially. But do you think that that will maybe keep guys from trying to bounce around just for the sake of saying, well, it's too hard in the spot that I'm in right now? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think uh, given the freedom to bounce around however many times you want to, um, and the sport of football, I think in some ways it shows a lot about you that you probably are in the wrong sport. Because if, if, if every time you get stuck or turning and cutting tail here, you, then I, I don't think your chance of making it anywhere are, are very good. Just that's, and that's a much more of a, a personality thing. I think football requires commitment and dedication to the craft to, to be able to perform it at a high level. There are the rare cases where it works out, but the overall majority, if that's your, if that's your ideas about life, about anything, just your work ethic in general, that whenever it gets hard, I'm going to try to find a better situation. I'm going to leave and pack it up. And I, I think football might, might be, in general, too too tough for you. I, that's just my personal opinion, and you can take it or leave it. But um, I do think that it can be, you know, because it's a one-time deal, I think that it can deter people a little bit. But I think if you're already in the mindset of transferring, um, and it, like I said, if you're going about it the right way from a personal standpoint, you feel like the one move should be all you need and that your situation the, the current situation, whatever it is, is the problem. And that's why you're leaving. Not necessarily because, you know, something nicer shows up on the other side of the hill. And I, like I said, if, that, if that's the issue, if you're, you're just jumping to the next best thing just because, you know, you, you want that shiny new toy, then that, that's, that's a bigger issue. And I don't think anybody's going to be able to fix that no matter what you do to restrict it. But, no, I do think that making it a one-time deal is, is, is really important. And I think that can help curb guys from abusing the system a little bit here but um i i just overall think that there's there's a mindset that has to change i don't think any rule can really change 
the way these kids coming through the game think about how they make the decision. But I think we have to educate kids before they get to college, before they get to their signing of the letters of intent, before that, about the gravity of what they're doing and the importance of what this decision could be meaning, not just in football, but in their life and making that decision soundly so that we don't have too many people that are caught in bad situations a couple years down the road. Last minute here, Caleb, uh, and we can talk about this a lot more in the future, but it, you know, it was kind of interesting the other day. We were talking about the transfer portal with Marcus Arroyo, and you know the way he described it, he's like, hey, we're going to adjust, and it can be a good thing for us. And I think this year is a, a prime example. You've got a wide receiver on the roster from Indiana, but you know some of the biggest additions are a big running, by, uh, running back in Javon Wilson from Oregon. Connor Murphy was a mammoth defensive lineman from USC. Uh, Wilborn. The kid from Arizona who was, you know, an All-American freshman, uh, you know, a few years back. And, you know, the, the, the assistant coaches were talking about those guys at least bringing a presence to practice. And I think they can all be contributors if they're driven. And here's the other thing. Caleb, you know, uh, if you're on a football team at, at a mid-major like UNLV and then you see guys walk in like that, there's a certain amount of respect you have for those guys. But there's also, oh, who's this guy? And it can also drive the guys on the team. Yeah, and I think it, it spurs on confidence. There's there's like a, a backdoor way that this can build confidence in the team, right? Like, you see this mammoth guy like Connor Murphy coming from USC, and then, you know, initially when he walks through the door, you're like, oh, God, he's huge. How am I going to block this guy, right, as an offensive lineman? You go into practice, and you go against him every day, and you, you get that first pancake on him because it's going to happen, right? You pancake a guy that at one point you thought this guy's transferred from USC. He's the real deal, and you block him, and you, you block him effectively over the course of practice. Now you build up the team confidence, right? That's that kind of iron sharpening iron aspect of, of you know, when you bring a quality guy into the locker room like that, um, you, you kind of enhance the whole feel of it, you know, and the guys next to him even, you know, the, that benefit from his presence there, whether it's whoever lifts with him in the weight room and, and gets pushed that extra, you know, couple of reps every day because they're trying to match his efforts or what he can do in the weight room. Um, the work ethic that he will in no doubt bring from, you know, a Pac-12 program like, like USC or Oregon or things like that, where they kind of understand what it takes to be a successful football program, um, that kind of rubs off on the rest of the guys. There's so many different benefits uh, from from having a guy, whether it's a grad transfer or a mid-major, or somebody transferring back down to a mid-major. Those kind of moves can definitely help a team like UNLV. And you see with a guy like Randall Grimes when he played, and although he's not on the roster anymore, that's just an example. He went to USC, got some experience there, how to play the game, how to practice, how to work. And he came back and was an absolute beast for UNLV, right? Um, so those kind of things, if they happen enough, can benefit UNLV. And Coach Arroyo, I think, has the recruiting capacity and the ability to be aware of that and kind of sift through the transfer portal and find those pieces that he can plug in where he needs to. And I think the defensive line got a, got a boost with with Connor Murphy, obviously, and uh, uh, with Jake coming from Indiana for at wide receiver in the wide receiver group. I think there's 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 some ways that teams can flip this to their benefit. And I think UNLV did a good job of it this year uh, with the recruiting class of making those those improvements from the transfer portal. Caleb, great job. We'll talk to you, buddy. All right, guys. Have a good one. Take care. There he is, Caleb Herring, uh, talking a little UNLV football, also the addition of Clowney to the Browns. On the way back, i got to follow up on uh, what we heard out at practice around some of the new guys on this UNLV roster. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Time now. 
for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Back to Steve Cofield. Adam Kennedy's here as well. So we were just talking to Caleb Herring about UNLV football, and spring practice is going on right now, and they're starting to approach about 10 practices. They're out there Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And, uh, you know, a lot of the talk around the the program is uh, that culture, year two with Arroyo, what can the super seniors who have been invited back, what can they add to the mix? But I think, Candy, you tell me, I, I, when a program goes 0-6 and, and, you know, it's struggled of late, I don't know that people want to hear about, the you know, the progress of Charles Williams, great kid, he just had a kid, uh, you know, or Julio Garcia or some of the other super seniors. They want to hear about the new faces, right, and how they're going to get better. Yeah, I mean, they want to hear about progress to some degree, but at the same time, if the story that we're talking about is progress, it's the story that we've been trying to sell UNLV fans for, you know, the entire time that I've been here since 1989. If you're going to try to sell progress, you have to sell new faces because you look at last year and you say, well, Charles Williams, as good as he has been over the course of his UNLV career, was sold as one of the faces of the program last year. And I'm not saying it was his fault, but it's hard to convince people that a guy who was the face of an Ofer program is the one who's going to lead you into better days. And, you know, if they're going to get to a level where they could be a 500 program, you know, have a, a bowl season here and there, they've got to compete better on the defensive side of the ball. And it's at all three levels. And we saw the first recruiting class that Arroyo brought in. Uh, he had a bunch of dudes who were just bigger than the players they had in the past. You know, longer guys, 6'2 to 6'4, you know, 230 pounds to 260 pounds who could play the edge, who could play linebacker. It was just a bigger looking group. So here's what they're working on, right? And it, that doesn't mean there's any finality here, but you saw last year two of their best players on defense were the ends. Adam Plant is one of those guys that I'm talking about, bigger, longer than dudes of the past. You know, he's 6'5, 250 pounds. Well, you know, he was a star in town. He went to Power 5 at TCU. He came back. So he was fine last year. I thought he acclimated pretty well. Obviously, as a defensive end, you got to be better at protecting the edge and playing against the run. Uh, Jacoby Winman was a, a great find. By the way, Tony Sanchez does deserve credit here and there for great finds. And, uh, you know, if folks don't remember, uh, we told the story a couple of years ago, uh, Sanchez did, of going down and recruiting a quarterback in Travis Mumphrey in New Orleans. And, you know, they happened to stumble upon Jacoby Winman, and, you know, they got him. And then right away, they're like, man, this kid's going to be – he's going to be good. Well, he's been playing defensive end, and he did a good job last year at defensive end, but he's an undersized guy, and that's what they kind of want to get away from. So what they're doing, Candy, that linebacking core that needs an infusion of size and speed, they're trying Winman at linebacker. They're going to move him inside. So I think that, I think that's positive. If he, can, if he can, you know, learn the position and, you know, become a good player, that's going to be a big deal. So now the question is, who works in at that end spot, right? Because you got to get sacks and you got to get size on the outside. So we just talked about Connor Murphy, who I think, you know, he fancies himself an end at 6'7 and 270 pounds here at UNLV. He's going to play a lot inside. So they're going to have more size and range inside. So right now, the competition, it looks like on the outside, uh, you're going to have a couple of young guys. And people have, you know, last year people were like, where are the young guys? You know, Brennan Scott is one of the highest rated recruits they've had in forever, a kid out of Texas. So he's in the mix. Uh, LaShawn Bell, who's out of Southern California, he's in the mix. And then the plan with Kylan Wilborn, who was just a dynamo a couple of years ago at Arizona, 
the plan is for him to be, you know, one of the main guys who goes in there. And he's more like 240 pounds, but he could be a guy who goes in there and he's a stalwart at defensive end. So you can kind of see what they're they're trying to build here. Uh, but the biggest thing is for some of the new ends to step up and for Winman to adjust a linebacker. And then all of a sudden you're working with something here in terms of making progress, getting more size and speed on the field. So let me ask you a question to someone who follows this program very closely. And as we start talking nuts and bolts of who plays what position, who does what, there weren't many places that you could look on the defense last year and say, that's a bright spot. But you just mentioned two of them. You just mentioned these are some places we can build from. So if you upset essentially two positions by saying, okay, we take someone productive off end, and then we hope that he can learn a new position, uh, do you think that that's more of a longer-term play as opposed to something that helps them this coming year? Can I say both? Because it kind of has you to... Say whatever, you say whatever you want. It's your show. It kind of has to help him this year because some of the guys are moving into the defensive line roles are guys who are only going to be here for a limited amount of time. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I think Winman, he, he should, at his size, he should be a linebacker. And come on, when we looked at the linebacker position last year, um, it was a crew that you know wasn't super talented. Um, they also had no depth. So the linebacking core needs the help. Um, you know, those guys try. Uh, they did a decent job last year. And then and then here's the other thing. A lot of times, you know, you look down on the field and it's really more of a 5-2 alignment. But they definitely – they got to build up the uh, – they got to build up that front seven. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to help long term. And they, they, had, they had some good guys, you know, the same sort of players in this last recruiting class. And I think the other encouraging thing is, uh, you know, as long as they put up a decent season this year, I don't see why Marcus Arroyo wouldn't continue to have success – in getting guys to transfer in, and especially guys from the Pac-12. He he certainly connected. He, we know he has connections in Oregon. That's where he was. So I would expect each year to get an infusion of a couple of Power 5 transfers in, and maybe there's more coming on defense. Well, for the sake of building this defense long-term, I see exactly what you're going for, right? You take yeah. the size profile and you fit it to the position as opposed to saying, hey, we've got a good athlete. Let's put him in a spot where we need somebody on this defense and if they are going to build in that way i get it i'm just thinking from the perspective of you know you have something that works do you really upset it but in the larger scheme nothing was <laughs> really working the way they need That's to. What i was gonna say uh, i'm not sure that it it was working a year ago uh from a speed standpoint they were having issues and from a size standpoint they certainly got pushed around by uh, way too many opponents Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Murray. All right, let's do it. Let's get out to the Westgate Superbook Sports. John Murray's up with Cofield and Candy. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. Disappointed, no Adam Hill, but I'm excited to talk to you and Adam Candy. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Adam's pretty much off the shell. Just uh, I'll be straight up with you. So, not to Is it because of you're saying uh, a lack of, of work ethic on his part, or did you guys have yeah. a falling out? I think it's too much work ethic. <laughs> too, right. too much work ethic and <laughs> saying yes to everyone else. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, Adam, I got you. Adam, so you. So you're Adam, saying it's answer B. You guys had a falling out. 
no, no, no falling okay. out. And I was kidding. He's he's generally in on Monday, Tuesdays, and Fridays for the audience, uh, trying oh. to figure out where Big Adam is. So uh, I saw the Masters ratings, at least uh, by one metric, were way down. Uh, but I've seen a lot of people say, boy, it seemed like there was a lot of interest in terms of social media. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it was driven by betting. So was your handle way down? I, I would no. think your handle was up, no? Yeah, well, you don't want to really compare it to 2020 because 2020 was a sort of an outlier there. It was up against an NFL weekend. The tournament was basically decided going into Sunday. DJ had a pretty comfortable lead, which he never squandered the way that, the way that Matsuyama almost did on Sunday. So, no, I, I thought handle, handle did, we did very well. We were very happy with the handle. We won a good number on Matsuyama. We gave some back in some of the secondary markets. But overall, uh, certainly we, I'd consider the Masters a success. It's never going to be what it is. Without Tiger Woods, you're never going to get to the numbers you're, you're at with Tiger Woods. But overall, I, I thought it was a good, a good Masters for us. John, when you look at having less months leading up to the Masters, obviously this time with the previous one happening in November, did that change anything in terms of how you guys approach the the futures? I mean, you obviously had less time for people to uh, you know sort of build up that interest going in. Well, that's a great point. You know, we didn't have as much time. The, the The pool wasn't live for as long as it normally is, and there wasn't much, as much travel to Las Vegas during that time as you would get again, for the 2019 Masters. So both of those things are definitely factors. Like like Jeff Sherman, who does our golf, he's already got the 2022 Masters up. And that's what we, that's what we had in 19, and that's what we would have had this year if it had been a normal schedule. And that definitely impacts handle in a negative way. That list of odds for next year, is Tiger in there? Yeah, I believe, uh, I believe he did list Tiger in there. I haven't even looked at it, to be honest with you. But uh, No, you know what? He's got no odds on Tiger. He does have it. It looks like he does have it listed, but no odds. Let me see. Ooh. Hold on a John second. Murray. Yeah. John Murray yeah. working on Tiger Woods odds for 2022. He's got up. so many golf tournaments in here. I'll, by the end of the show, maybe I can find my way to the Masters next year. Come on, Jeff uh, Sherman. Be prepared so John's ready to go. Let's get it together. Jeff's got like uh, – he's got something called the MGM this week. And I, I don't even think they have it at MGM. And Jeff's got it up. I don't know. Tiger Woods 60-1 to 1 for the 2022 Masters. Your favorites are DJ, Rom, Spieth, and Thomas. He's got all four of those guys at twelve to one. Candy, would you? Is there enough value at sixty to one that you would bet Tiger? You know, just about twelve months out. I'm not even going to talk about value when it comes to Tiger. I'm just going to say no. I, I don't want to bet on Tiger. Period. I'm, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're all just hoping that Tiger Woods can play in the 2022 Masters. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I don't know that. From what I've heard, that's. Uh, Touch and go, but so far no takers on Tiger. By the way, I haven't seen anybody bet Tiger Woods. Just some small tickets on some of the usual suspects: DeChambeau, Michael, uh, Rory McIlroy. People always bet Rory McIlroy, and then he's never even in contention at all. It's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, I'll ask both of you guys first. John Murray from the Westgate. Do you think the PGA has done as well or better than every other major sport in terms of embracing? the gambling market. It seems like they have a partnership with, uh, you know, five or six different books. What's your take on how golf has handled sports betting? Uh, I think they've been, they've opened it or welcomed sports betting with open arms. The other sport that I would, I'd give a big compliment to is the UFC. I think that they've embraced gambling, uh, with open arms as well. And they were really, uh, those two sports really the ones that carried us through those lean months last spring when the casino was closed. So 
I, I would give both of them an, a grade of an A for their embracing of sports betting. Candy? Well, John, I actually want to follow up on what John was saying. Like To stick with that point, I think we all kind of wondered, you know, of course, you guys weren't booking all of the outlandish stuff that, you know, that some other places were during the pandemic. But I think we're all kind of curious, the interest in golf and the interest in UFC. We knew it couldn't keep up quite the same way as it was during the pandemic. But did you guys hold any players? You know what I mean? Like, did you continue to see action on those markets from players who might not have been betting them heavily in the past? Definitely. It's a great question, too. Yeah, there's there's more action now in those two sports than there's ever been. The UFC in particular really like took off like a rocket during those closures when they were the only thing going on, that, that Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson card was in Jacksonville last May, and then the Usman Masvidal, their first event, the first one on Fight Island last July. But we did twice as or two and a half times as much handle on that event as we did on the McGregor Poirier event back in January. Now that's because that event was kind of on its own, and McGregor Poirier was going up against a, a packed January of sporting events. But the UFC handle is, is at an all-time high, and it's really one of our main, or really one of our major sports now, is UFC and golf's right there as well. And on a weekend like last weekend, golf was the focus around here during the Masters, and it'll be the focus again here in a few weeks when the PGA comes. John Murray's with us, Superbook Sports, Westgate. Well, let's stay on this. Let's talk about the biggest fight of 2021 and what do you think is going to happen here uh, in terms of the decision jake paul and ben Askren? what's going on with you guys with that uh huge handle event i mean i know it sounds funny but I, it's going to be our biggest handle event this weekend you know this is kind of a slow weekend after the masters after the final four before the playoffs for the the major sports but we've taken a ton of money on that fight right now we need ben Askren pretty big some pretty significant bets have come in on jake paul I've got, or we've got Jake Paul minus 185, Askren plus 165. And we got the whole, we got the whole pay-per-view undercard up. You know, we're, we're treating it like it's a major bout, Steve. We've got all four fights on the pay-per-view card up for betting at the Westgate right now. And a lot of handle on this Jake Paul fight. I've talked to some people that tell me that Askren's going to win because he's a professional fighter and the other guy's a YouTube celebrity. People that I trust, people that know what they're talking about. And then I talked to some other guys that are in boxing that say, this Jake Paul is training with professional fighters, working with professional coaches, and he's going to destroy Ben Askren. So wow. I, I don't know what to think at this point. We, uh, we talked to Big John McCarthy, the, the famous official from MMA, mm-hmm. who's now doing stuff at Showtime, and he said, looking at the press conference and the stare down between Jake Paul and Ben Askren, he thought that Ashkin was going to kick the living crap out of Jake Paul, that Jake Paul looked freaked out, like the moment is real now, and that – Jake Paul was getting a little spooked. I, see, I've heard that, and, and I definitely don't want to dismiss, dismiss Big John. I, I respect his opinion, but I talked to a guy who's a, a boxing manager in town. He told me that he's got some fighters that are training with Jake Paul, and this guy's a pretty legitimate fighter, and he's going to knock wow. Askren out. So I'm hearing from people that I trust on both sides are saying this is going to happen or this is going to happen both ways, and it's making me very curious to see the fight, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually looking forward to it. It started off as kind of a joke and a sideshow, but now it's a big, it's a heavily bet event at the Westgate, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. You mentioned the other fights on the card. Uh, do you have the numbers in front of you? Yeah, they're all like really big favorites, but I can, uh, right. and, I, and I'll probably mangle the pronunciations, but that could be funny for the readers if you want to give it a shot. Well, is, is this, Frank Mears on this card now? 
Yeah, Frank Mir is fighting Steve Cunningham. It's a heavyweight boxing fight. Cunningham is yep. minus fourteen hundred. You can yep. bet Frank Mir here at the Westgate at eight to one. If you want to take a I, shot on Frank? John, I, I mean, we've covered Frank Mir for the long, you know, the longest time. Hell, uh, Adam Hill, the aforementioned Adam Hill, played high school football against him, and always tells the story of getting pancaked multiple times. Uh, Adam's feet were very good, but his strength was not. And uh, Mir, Frank Mir, Mir got pancaked or Adam? No, 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 no. Okay, no, I misunderstood. No. Mir, Mir, as a defensive lineman, uh, <laughs> took, out, took out Twinkle Toes at right tackle and freaking pancaked <laughs> okay. him. Uh, but this, this is this is one. You know what? It's so weird that I'm going to say. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I should say it. I'm really worried about Frank in this fight going against a real professional boxer. Really worried. Yeah, the, the other. I agree with you because I think sometimes these guys uh, they bite off a little bit more than they can chew. The, the the previous fight to that on the undercard, I read about it because I'd never heard of either individual. But one of the guys is a professional boxer, and the other guy is a a reggae singer, and they're fighting each other. I, I don't know how these things get sanctioned, but that's the first fight, and then you've got the Frank Mir fight. Then there's an actual professional boxing fight, and then you've got Askren, Jake Paul in the main event. So. I'm expecting is, big things on this event, and hopefully uh, nobody comes out of this thing hurt. Well, it's all a great lead into July when UFC is expecting and hoping for a full house. Could uh, McGregor and Poye 3 be the biggest handle in your MMA fight history? Uh, no, not, not, in, not in the history. I mean, you, you go back and, and talk about a fight like McGregor-Diaz 1 or McGregor-Diaz 2, and then actually that Usman-Masvidal fight last summer, because it was on its own, Remember, that was before the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball resumed playing. So there was nothing going on but the UFC. So those are the three biggest. I don't think that this one will top any of those three. But you will have the Conor McGregor fan base coming back into town. Dana, says he's, Dana White says he's doing this in front of a full crowd at T-Mobile. And one thing that will really be good for Handel is it's a pick em fight. That usually leads to a little bit more interest, a little bit more handle. You know, we've had this fight up at Pickham since the day it was announced weeks ago, or was rumored to be announced weeks ago, and I've had it at minus 110 the whole time and still can't get anybody to bet it. Must have been a good number. Wow, you nailed it. Uh, the Back to the yeah, Ashton we'll fight. We'll see. Yeah, I got, yeah we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> uh, time will tell. I, I got, uh, like I, I think I've mentioned a bunch of times on air, and I, I could uh, rue the day that I – that I bet this, but uh, I got Askren at plus two ten, so mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that it's uh, it's gone you know the other way so much. But like you said, the people there are people who are smart on both sides, so who knows? I don't know, but I'm curious to see it. And there's another big fight we do have on the horizon too. Canelo Alvarez returns to the ring on May eight, and we're going to be showing that fight at the Westgate Las Vegas. So nice. you know you've got some big fights on the horizon. So I, I, that's why I hesitate a little bit to say this one's going to be the biggest or that one's going to be the biggest. There's several big ones coming up. All right, John. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, fellas. Talk to you later. There he is, John Murray, Westgate, at Superbook Sports, up on Twitter. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.